0: Wow. I don't believe that I ever actually even knew there were two more verses to that song until tonight. I don't think I've ever sung that entire song. I I don't remember it if I did. could be my memory, but I really don't think I did. And uh, I appreciate so much, Hayden, you leading in with that song. That's not... A song that I asked for, but it is a beautiful lead into tonight's lesson. You may think when you hear that the greatest command is our invitation song, that's kind of a weird invitation song, but once you hear the lesson, you won't think it's so weird, maybe. I want to begin tonight with a question. A question that when I ask it and you hear it, you may think to yourself, I know exactly where he's going with this. I've heard this all before, and and you know what? Maybe you have heard some of it before. But it's my hope that tonight you might hear something in some places, there may be a little new or a little different slant or a little bit different angle on it, and I think tonight's lesson, the contents of it from God's word, has the potential to change every relationship that you and I have. I really believe that, and especially I want to have our young folks that someday hope to be married to really think about the words of tonight's lesson. Because I believe, again, that it has the potential to make every relationship we have be the very best, the most enjoyable, and the longest lasting that they can possibly be. The question that serves as the title of this evening's lesson is, very simple what is love what is love if you ask a hundred different people that question you're probably going to get a hundred different answers all sorts of answers we could spend 30 minutes going into potentials but we won't tonight as we seek to answer that question simply what is love looking for a definition I'd like to begin with three things that love is not. Three things that love is not. Now, the world's going to tell you something different than you hear in this sermon tonight, but since when is that a new revelation, right? Three things that love is not. As we have all probably heard many, many, many times, the first thing that love is not, love is not some warm feeling. You've probably heard that a hundred times. It's true. In fact, Love is not a feeling at all. (gasps) No, it really isn't. Love is not a feeling at all. Now, Satan would like to convince us that that's all there is to love, just a feeling, so that when the feeling is gone, we believe that we can just up and leave too. We believe that when the feeling is gone, that love is gone, and therefore we feel free to move on, be it from spouse be it from a church family when the feeling isn't there the love is gone but you see love is not a feeling not at all love as we're going to learn a little later on is certain love is solid love is secure love is selfless while feelings quite often they're just the opposite feelings are often fickle and fleeting and fatal. Please open your Bible, just a quick point on this, the first Samuel chapter 13. I just want to show you that feelings, no matter how genuine feelings may be, feelings are not a safe guide. Feelings are not what love consists of because feelings can be wrong. Even the deepest of feelings can be wrong. While you're opening to this passage here in first Samuel chapter 13, I'm reminded in the New Testament in Acts chapter 26 verses 9 through 11, where the apostle Paul says that that he felt as though he had to persecute saints, and he persecuted them even to foreign cities, but he goes on to explain how he was wrong. Despite how strongly he felt, he was still wrong, and he admits that. But in 1 Samuel 13, we see again, Saul, King Saul, was not authorized to offer the sacrifice. Well, when trouble came, he got all worked up and didn't keep the commandment of the Lord and just thought he could go ahead and offer the sacrifice himself. In fact if we look in 1 Samuel chapter 13 beginning at verse 10 it says this 1 Samuel 13 10 it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him and Samuel said what have you done? Saul said when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and the Philistines gathered together at Michmash. Then I said, the Philistines will come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled. I felt strongly. I had this, just this overwhelming, compelling feeling that I needed to do this. Look at the next line. Samuel said, you've acted foolishly. You didn't keep the commandment of the Lord. Instead, you went with your feelings and you made a terrible mistake. You have acted foolishly. Feelings, love is not comprised of simply feelings. Now, before you get the wrong idea, because of love, we have certain feelings. Love causes certain feelings. But love is not made up of feelings. It's the same idea, for example, you stop and think about it, truth causes certain feelings, Okay, For example, when I'm down front, like tonight, and I'm preaching, a lot of times when I get to preaching, a lot of you men that have preached lessons, a lot of you ladies that have taught Bible classes, when you get into talking about what God has done for you, the more you talk about truth and the truth of God's word, the more excited you get or the more feelings come out of you. i have seen men behind pulpits that have teared up because the truth caused them to have certain feelings. However, the presence of certain feelings does not make something true. If you ever talked to somebody and I just felt like I was saved the moment I believed. you ever talked to somebody? They thought their feelings were what truth was made of. No. Feelings are not what truth is made of. However, the truth causes you to have certain feelings. It's the same way with love. Love is not a feeling. That's not what love is by biblical definition. It's not a feeling. However, love causes feelings. But the feelings aren't what constitute love. That's number one, love is not a feeling. Number two, probably gonna make some romantics in this congregation upset, hear me out. (laughs) Number two, biblically speaking, according to the God who is love himself, 1 John 4, 8, the second thing that real love is very definitely not is something that you arbitrarily, accidentally fall into, fall out of, or have no control over like a leaf in the wind. Oh, I just fell in love. Oh, I just fell out of love. No, it doesn't work that way. Now, Satan would like to deceive the world into thinking that it does so that it is easier for us not to have to feel or deal with the personal responsibility for some of the destructive things we do in some of our relationships. If I can just say to myself, well, I just fell out of love. I just fell into love. I had no control. I fell in, I fell out, I, you know. You're doing a lot of falling to begin with. But here's the thing. Stop and think about it. The phrases fell in love, fall in love, and falling in love, all three of those phrases, They're never once found in the word of God. Fell in love, fall in love, and falling in love are not found in the word of God. You will never find those phrases in the word of God. And yet the God who is love talks to us all the time about love, doesn't he? But those phrases are never once found. They're right next to the sinner's prayer for salvation, somewhere else other than the scripture. Thirdly, love is not something given in return, only as long as you make me happy or please me. Love is not something given in return only as long as you make me happy or please me. Let me prove that one to you. Sin does not please God, does it? Sin does not please God. Let's try this again. This means yes, this means no. I see a few of you, you know the sign language, let's try it again. Sin does not please God, does it? That's better. Thank you. Don't want you fall asleep. I know it's Sunday night. Sin does not make God happy, does it? However, even though we were sinners, the scripture says in Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, even when we're, we're sinners, Christ died for us. That's love. Turn to that passage Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Look at what it says. Love is not determined by whether or not a person makes me happy or makes you happy. For when we were, Romans 5 and verse 6, still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love. Notice this is love. This is what love is made of. God demonstrates his own love. This is part of our definition. What is love? He demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still doing things that make God unhappy, while we were still doing things that didn't please God, what did he do? He loved us. So those are three things that love is not. And so, if love is not a feeling, and it's not, and love is not something we fall into and out of just by accident, or you know, like a leaf in the in the wind, and if love is not something that lasts only as long as I'm made happy or kept pleased, then it's not. Then what is love? What is love for my brothers and sisters? What is love for the church? What is love? for a spouse. What, what is love? Let's talk about what it is in all of those cases. If it's not any of those three things, first and foremost, love is a conscious, total, and complete commitment. Love is a conscious, total, and complete commitment. We talked a lot this morning about a total commitment. We used the Apostle Peter as an illustration in this morning's lesson, but there's a far greater one. There's a far greater biblical example, an illustration, of the fact that love is a conscious, total, complete commitment in the Scriptures, and that is reflected in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please notice, from these next few scriptures, and I don't usually do this, I don't usually have you turn to one scripture, and then one, and then one, because it takes a lot, but I really want you to see this. Please notice from this next chain of scriptures how real love really is a conscious, complete, and all-consuming, self-sacrificing commitment. Turn to me to John. We're gonna stay in the four gospel accounts. But look at this string of pearls, if you will, this string of jewels. On this chain of scriptures that show us what real love is and just how it is a conscious committed self-sacrificial love John 14 verse 31 look at what it says Jesus said John 14 31 but that the world may know that I love here's our word Here's what love is, that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Notice that Jesus' love for his Father entailed what? Him doing what his Father wanted him to do, even knowing what it was going to cost him. Think about when Jesus said these words. This was the very night. He's just gotten down and washed the disciples' feet in John 13. He's going to pray in John 17 on his way to the garden, and he's going to pray again. That's that night. And that night, he says, I love the Father, and so I'm going to do what he wants me to do. Jesus was committed to God's will, even though it was going to cost him his life on the cross. Love is a commitment to another's good. It is a self-sacrificial commitment. Notice in that passage, he says, arise, let us go from here. Where's he going? To the cross. He's going to the garden and then to the cross that very night. John chapter 5, verse 30. It's always been this way. Jesus loved his father. Jesus loved and loves us. So therefore, he was committed to his father's will and he was committed to us. Because that's what love is. John 5 and verse 30, look what it says. I can of myself do nothing as I hear I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will but the will of the Father who sent me. He loved his Father. He's going to do God's will at all costs. John chapter 6 and verse 38 says the same thing. Turn there, please. He says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. Again, he was committed no matter what. He was committed Because that's what love is. We could go to the Garden of Gethsemane. We could see Jesus pray three times. My Father, let this cup pass from me. And not as I will, but as you will. What is that? That's love. That's a commitment to follow God. It is a commitment to our good that Jesus never gave up on. Because that's what love is. God so loved the world that He gave, He was committed to us. And Jesus was committed to God and us because he loves us both. Finally, in Matthew 26, let me give you one more. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 50 through 54, you wanna see what committed love looks like? Here it is. Matthew chapter 26, verses 50 through 54. Jesus addressing Judas says, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Watch this. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he'll provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? Was Jesus committed? Was he committed to doing it absolutely the way God wanted it done? Absolutely. Why? Because love's a commitment. Love is a commitment. A commitment, a total commitment to constantly give and sacrifice of yourself in order to benefit somebody else no matter how they choose to respond in return. This is a big one, young folks, old folks, medium folks, every all you folks. <laughs> love is a complete commitment to sacrifice yourself for the benefit of another no matter how they may choose to respond in return. That's the biblical definition of love. Isn't that what God did to his people in the Old Testament? Wasn't he committed to taking care of them to sacrifice of himself as it were, to give of himself, to give to them no matter how they responded, isn't that how he taught it, isn't that how he treated his Old Testament people? Sure it is. Turn to me to Deuteronomy 7, two examples, Deuteronomy 7, everything we've been talking about wrapped up right here, verses 6 through 8. For you are a holy people, Deuteronomy 7 verse 6, to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than the other people, for you were the least of the people. It wasn't because of you. God didn't love them because they were more. God loved them because God is love. It was a conscious decision on his part. He did not love them because they were the most, for they were the least. But because, verse 8, the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath, because of who he is, he loved you. Does that sound, as you read Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8, does that sound like to you that God just arbitrarily, accidentally, happened to fall in love with these people? Does it sound like that to you? that he had no choice, he had no control over the matter, he just kind of fell in love with them. No, that's not what it is. Or does it sound like that God chose to make a conscious, determined commitment to those people? Is that what it sounds like? That's what love is. And that proves it. Look in Deuteronomy 31, the second of our two texts from the Old Testament talking about this very point. Deuteronomy 31, just two verses. Verses 20 and 21. Deuteronomy 31, verses 20 and 21. God says, when I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey. God's going to provide everything. He's going to take care of them. He's going to wipe out their enemies. He's going to take them right in there. He's going to give them the best he has to give them because he loves them. When I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat, then they will turn to other gods, serve them. And they will provoke me and break my covenant. Then it shall be when many evils and troubles have come upon them, the song will testify against them as a witness, for it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants. For I know the inclination of their behavior today, even before I brought them into the land which I swore to give them." If you read those two verses, Does that sound like to you that God's love is only going to last as long as they do what he wants? No. He said, I know they're going to turn on me. I know that they're going to take my gifts for granted. I know they're going to forsake me. Even before I bring them in there, I know what they're going to do. But you know what? He loved them, and he took them in anyway, didn't he? It wasn't how they treated God that mattered as to whether or not he loved them. He did not just love them only as long as they made him happy. Isn't this exactly what God did for us in the New Testament when he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us, isn't it? Think about it. God made a conscious, total, and complete commitment to sacrifice of himself for our benefit no matter how mankind chose to respond in return didn't matter about our response. It mattered about his goodness because he's God. God loved us. Did God love us even when we were sinners? Yes. Did God love us even when we didn't please him? Yes. Does God love those people out there in the world that are not living for him right now? Yes. Love's not dependent on their response. Is God going to love those people on judgment day that he has to send to hell? Every last one of them. But they're going because of their choice that they don't love God enough to let him be God here in their lives. God's going to love every soul he has to condemn. For God so loved the world, because that's what love is. God did not love us because we made him happy, because we accepted his goodwill, or because we made him feel good, or because we did good to him in return. In fact, mankind has done just the opposite. And you know, just like he knew the Israelites would forsake him and abandon him long before he ever, in his great love, led them into the promised land, you know, just like that. God knew long before he sent his only begotten son into the world. Exactly how men would treat him, forsake him, abandon him, abuse him. That was prophesied. Isaiah 53 and verse 3, and all of Psalm 22. God knew centuries before. God knew before time began how many people were not going to return his love, respond positively to his love. But did he still send Jesus? Yeah. Why? Because love is a commitment to the other person, no matter how they respond. We have proof of this. Turn to me in your New Testaments to John chapter 1, just verses 10 and 11. We see in John 1, 10 and 11, God knew. He knew his own people would reject his gift of love, but he didn't say, well, that's all right. If they're not going to love me in return, I'm not going to love them. He didn't say, if they're not going to respond appropriately, then it's off. He didn't say, well, if they're not going to make me happy, then I'm not going to serve them. That's not what he said. John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, speaking about Jesus, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, it says, John 1, 10, he was in the world And the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But he came anyway, didn't he? See, his love for them was not dependent on their response to him. His love for them was only dependent upon his commitment to them. John 15, if you would please. We'll only take two of these out of the New Testament. We could have gone many other places. But in John chapter 15, look with me in verses 18 and following. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. He knew the world hated him. He knew that. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, that's the reason the world hates you, or therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they don't know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they'd have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they'd have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated. He, how many times in this passage does he say, the world hates me. They've hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Again, think of the circumstances in John 15. Jesus says repeatedly they hated him. What's Jesus on his way to do? Die. That's love. That's love. Committed to them, despite their response. Self-sacrificial, despite whatever they did. His love for the world was not determined by their response to him, but by his commitment to both his God and their good. What is true in godly love, we asked at the beginning of this lesson, What is love? What is true in godly love, especially as compared to false and worldly love? Here it is. First and foremost, godly love is selfless instead of selfish. Godly love is selfless instead of selfish. And secondly, it is self-sacrificing instead of self-satisfying. This is all through scripture. Go home later and read Matthew 5, 43 through 45. But right now, two quick places. 1 Corinthians 13, please turn there. Love is selfless. Instead of selfish, it is self-sacrificing. Instead of self-satisfying. In 1 Corinthians 13, please notice. I know it's a very familiar passage. I understand that. But if it's so familiar, how come so many times we just can't seem to get our mind around it and live it? Notice how selfless and how self-sacrificial love is. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love suffers long and it is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Do you see right there, love does not parade itself. What does that mean? It means it's not about me. It's about the person I love. It's not about my wants, it's about theirs. It's not about putting myself first. Love does not parade itself. It's about putting them first. It's self-sacrificing. It's not puffed up. I don't have a right to be arrogant because of who I am because love's not about me. It's about the other person. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. God couldn't make that any clearer. Love does not seek its own. It is self-sacrificing instead of self-satisfying. He goes on. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The structure of the Greek sentence in verse 8 means love never fails to be what I've just described. Love is selfless and self-sacrificing. Nowhere is that clearer than in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ Again, another passage we're familiar with. You can go home and read it later, but Philippians 2, 1 through 8 talks about how Jesus put us first. He talks about how love puts the other person first, and that's exactly the attitude and the mindset we ought to have. That's what Jesus had when he came and died on that cross. And here's the thing. Here's the beauty of this. This type of love that we're talking about tonight, that is self-sacrificial, selfless, A commitment to serve the other person no matter what. That type of love is the most beautiful, powerful, incredible, and effective force in all the world. It's the most powerful force in all the world. Let me prove it to you. It is the very power and essence of none other than God himself, 1 John 4:8. That's what God is, is the kind of love we're talking about. 1 John 4:8. God is love. What kind of love is God? God is the love that we've just talked about from the scriptures. Is God powerful? Is that a powerful force? Yes. Number two, it is the most beautiful, powerful, and effective force in all the world. It is the very reason behind Christ's sacrifice for our salvation, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. You want to talk about a powerful force? It took a powerful force to wipe our sins away. And that kind of love that we have described tonight, that is a commitment, the kind of commitment God had to us, it is that kind of love. How powerful is it? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's powerful. Not only that, but again, it is the most beautiful, powerful, and effective force in all the world. It is the life-changing force which causes us to completely change. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. When we start obeying God, does that change our lives? If you love me, if we put God first, and we're committed to putting God first, that's life-changing, isn't it? Man, this kind of love is powerful. And that brings us to the rubber meets the road application of tonight's lesson. We're going to turn to one more passage before we conclude. I'll ask you to turn there now and then I really want to hit you with this. Turn to 1 John 4. And then let's get to the application. Here it comes. Please do not duck. Let this hit you full force. Christian young ladies, if you want to give yourselves the best possible chance you can of going to heaven, and you want to enjoy your journey there as much as God wants you to, then when you are ready, Find a man to marry and spend the rest of your earthly and eternal life with, and yes, I realize we're not husbands and wives in heaven, but however, still be in heaven with them. When you are ready to find a man to marry and spend the rest of your earthly and eternal life with, make sure that that young man is one who understands, has accepted, and experienced the love of God in his own life, and is committed To continually striving to live that same sort of self-sacrificial love by loving his wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, Ephesians 5 and verse 25. Christian young men, if you want to give yourselves the best chance that you absolutely possibly can of going to heaven, and you want to enjoy the journey there as much as is earthly possible and god wants you to then when you are ready to find a woman to marry and spend the rest of your earthly and eternal life with make sure that she is one who understands the love of god in her own life and is committed to continually striving to live that same sort Of self-sacrificial love by becoming one of the priceless women of God, one of the priceless, praiseworthy, and godly wives described in such great detail in Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. And finally, to all of the rest of us, all of us, in all of our relationships, we want to give ourselves the best chance that we possibly have of going to heaven once we've been saved by the grace of God, but as we continue that journey after the baptistry, and we want to enjoy the journey there as much as is earthly possible, then in all of our relationships, all of them, with one another, we must consistently remember, understand, and exhibit this same sort of self-sacrificing committed love that God gave to us. Period. Scripture tells us that. And we must do it no matter how others may choose to respond or treat us. You know, sometimes when you love somebody and you you reach out in love to to somebody, or even a brother and sister in Christ, doesn't have to be a stranger, even a brother and sister in Christ, you know, sometimes when you reach out in love, they may not respond exactly the way you think they should, but your love for them should not be dependent on their response. Your love for them ought to be dependent on the fact that God's defined for you what love is, and it's up to you to show that kind of love, because you're only going to answer for you, not the other person. The Bible tells us that in 1 John 4. As we close, I want to read from verses 7 through 11. This is for all of us. Beloved, let us love one another. And don't miss, when I'm talking about love, I'm talking about God's definition as we've described it tonight. Not just a feeling, not just depending on how you treat me back, that's not godly love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves, in that fashion, is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. The person who doesn't love as God loves doesn't know God. The person who doesn't love with this committed, sacrificial kind of love that God has for us, they don't know God because they're not exhibiting this godly love of the God who is love. He says, in this the love of God was manifested or made known toward us, that God has sent his only son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love. He said, you want to know what love is? What was the title of tonight's lesson? What is love? God says, here it is. Here's the answer. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. He was committed to us. No matter what it cost him sacrificially, he made a commitment take care of our needs a great expense to himself and no matter how we as humanity responded God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins beloved if God so loved us if God loved us like that we also ought to love one another like that love one another Jesus said the night he washed their feet love one another how Long as the other person treats you right, long as it feels good. No. Jesus said the night he washed your feet, love one another even as I have loved you. You be committed to each other. Just like I'm committed to you. I'm going to the cross for you in a few short hours. I've washed your feet. I'm committed to your good. Isn't that that an awesome kind of church, when everybody loves as God loved them? Isn't that awesome? That's what God wants it to be. He wants all of our relationships to be like that, young people especially. Seen too many young people head down a road that was a whole lot less happy than God wanted them to. Learn to love as God has loved us, and your life will be incredible. Anything less, you're worth more in the eyes of God. Tonight the invitation is yours. If you're here and you've never accepted God's love, God's done everything he can. He's, he's given his son, he's given his word, he's given his promises. Jesus died for you, he was resurrected, he's now at the right hand of the throne of God interceding for those who have accepted that gift. Hebrews 7, 25, God can't do more, and He's already, the only other thing God can do for you is take away your free will and God's not gonna do that. That's the only other thing that he could do in order to get you to become a Christian. He's done everything else. And so tonight, if you've never accepted that love by saying, you know what, God, I, I just I accept your invitation. I, I just I want to I want to become a Christian, I want to accept that love. If you need to do that tonight by being baptized into Christ, or if you need the prayers of the church, maybe there's somebody in the church that, that you haven't loved the way you ought to. Maybe somebody's hurt your feelings, maybe you've hurt theirs, maybe there's some changes you need to make. If you need the prayers of the church or to respond in any way, please come to the front as we stand and sing this invitation song.